0: And our chapter for today is the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Let's get right into it. Paul has just said that he prayed that the mystery of the grace of God would be open to the people at Ephesus, that they would understand the great riches of knowing Jesus and the great depths of His love that the eyes of their understanding would be open, so that they could connect the dots. Now, he didn't say that very phrase, but that's what he's praying for, that it'll all make sense to them. Because sometimes as we read through the scriptures, it gets to the point to where we don't know whether we're coming or going because we are distracted in our thoughts and minds. And it's hard for us to remember that these letters like Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, that these were read all at one time. And what we do sometimes is we get caught up in this verse or that verse, and we get sidetracked on this, and we forget the big story. Paul is writing of the magnificence of the grace of Almighty God how that God in his great foreknowledge and great wisdom knew everything from the beginning to the end, the end before the beginning ever happened, and that we can rest in that. We can have peace in that and know that even in our disagreements, there has to be a bond, a binding together of unity, because it's not about all of us as individuals, it's about the church of Jesus. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the building of Christ. And this is why over and over again these analogies of unity and of fellowship are used. And so Paul said, after he had wished for them and prayed for them and expected from them to walk with God he says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord here again this is not some analogy and some ethereal thing that somehow he is taken prisoner and captured by Jesus of course he is but he's a literal prisoner he is a prisoner in Rome when he's writing this I, therefore, on the basis of all that he said to us, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you, exhort you, that's the word, I urge upon you to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called. And this is the idea of rising to the occasion, rising to the expectation. What is the expectation? that Jesus has bought us, we belong to his family, we are part of the bride of Christ, so therefore act like it. And we are to do this not as cocky and overconfident and proud and arrogant, but with all lowliness, getting down low, staying low, with gentleness, with long-suffering, understanding that everyone is not going to see something as quickly as we do. One of the great frustrations of great leaders, those men that I have known down through the years that so were way out ahead and saw things before others did and had experienced things that others had not, one of the things that they wrestle with constantly is this concept of being long-suffering. The word is macrothumia. Macro, of course, is the idea of big or long. From a metric standpoint, it would be a slow, a long Thumos burner. That means they're long fused. And sometimes it is hard for those who see so much and who see so far to bring those along that haven't seen it yet because we want them to get it. Because great leaders, any leader, wants people to see what they see. And so I remember the advice and the admonition of Dr. John Pretlove. He was my first New Testament professor. He was from England. And so he spoke with his British accent. He had gone to Spurgeon's College to Cambridge. He was teaching those of us who had just come out of the hills and the hollows in Texas, and we had moved there to study. And I remember him saying to all of us, don't expect your people to see overnight what it has taken you years to form convictions about. Let me say that again. They would always say, don't expect your people to see overnight what it's taken you years to form convictions about. And I've remembered that over and over again because many times God takes us through a journey that's a long way, not because that God's word is not clear, but it's because that many times when we obey it, it costs us something. And it causes us to experience sorrow, not in obeying God, but just the fact that everybody's not going to like it, and we love to be liked. And so he said, We need to be. Careful and walk worthy to rise to the calling that God's given us. And we're to do this with lowliness, with meekness, with gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another. That means to get up under the load with someone in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, that doesn't mean we can always do it, but we're always, as much as is within us, to live at peace with all men. Now, why would we do that? Because there is just one body. And that's the body of Jesus, the body of Messiah, the body of Christ, and one Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one expectation of your calling, there's only one Lord. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And so there needs to be the remembrance all along that it is not about us, that we're a part of a body, we're part of a greater entity than just us, so everything can't center around us. He said, but to each one of us is given grace, charisma, charismata. We are given grace. We're given gifts, the gifts that we don't deserve. It's grace. According to the measure of the Lord's Doran, that is, of what he gives to us, not because we earn it, not because we deserve it, but he graces us and gives us a gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And he's talking here about the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? mean, but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Now, those who believe that when Jesus died, he went to hell, use this as a backup verse. Now, I've gone back and forth with this for years. I had two mentors that were differing in what this meant. For instance, W.A. Criswell, who was my pastor, I was his first intern from the Criswell College back in 1977. He believed that Jesus died and went into hell and that he took the keys from Satan himself of death and hell. That's why he put together with that in Revelation chapter 1, what he said to John, get up, rise up from off your face. I am Jesus who was dead and is alive again, and I have the keys of death and hell. And then there was my other mentor that I was his first intern at the Crystal College, and that was Dr. Paige Patterson. Now, with both of these men, let me just say that they had disagreements, but they were not disagreeable. Both of them had good scriptural arguments for debate. Dr. Patterson believed that Jesus did not descend into hell when this verse here is quoted. He would say that he who ascended is the one who first descended into the lower parts of the earth. That doesn't mean that he went into the center of the earth, but the earth is the lower parts. In other words, God was in heaven. He was above the stellar heavens. And so he came through the stellar heavens. He came into the first heaven, which is the atmosphere in which we live, and he came to earth. Does that make sense? Yes. Is it grammatically uh, correct and accurate? Yes. And so this is one of those passages that linguistically, grammatically, syntactically can either go this way or that way. And so which is right? Well, we'll find out when we get to heaven, but it's not something you need to fall out with someone about. But you see, in the West, we are so into our own interpretation that people say, well, I wouldn't fall out with somebody about it. And then they fall out with somebody about it. Now, they wouldn't come at it from that angle because they would look like the chumps that they are. And so they'll find another little something that's wrong so that they can pile up on somebody. Now, I'm just telling you this because I'm around pastors and theologians and pastors and academicians all the time. What happens is it's almost like what they accuse church members of sometimes, and that is they can't come at you with one thing because it'd be too petty, and so they'll wait and sandbag until they can find something that they can come against the leader for and be more justified in their minds of doing it. What I'm saying to you is, when you look at this verse and you say, what does it mean? Well, there's two basic schools about this, and which one is right? And I say to you, you'll find out when you get to heaven. I believe because people will say, well, you didn't tell us where you stand on this. I do not believe that Jesus went into hell. I believe descending into the lower parts of the earth is not that he went into the center of the earth and went below the grave and that hell is at the center of the earth. I don't believe that. I believe that hell is a special place place prepared for the devil and his angels, just like what the Bible says. And I believe the lower parts of the earth here, linguistically, grammatically, is talking about when Jesus came to earth and he ascended far above principalities and powers when he ascended to heaven. And so I first started believing like Chriswell, and then I started believing like Patterson. You say, well, you're the Pattersonian school. No, I think what I'm doing is just as I learn to to exegete the scripture more and more that a man changes sometimes in these areas that will never, never know the truth until we get to heaven. So if somebody says, well, I believe Jesus went to hell, I say, well, that's all right. You give yourself a pat on the back and a sugar cookie, and I hope you don't fall out with me if I don't believe that. And so there are passages that would have us to have a tendency toward that. I know those passages and I believe that for a while. I don't believe that anymore. Does that mean I've gone liberal now? Quote, end quote. No, no, no. I mean, you got to have a wild imagination to think that I'm quote, liberal, end quote. And so I just don't believe everything that some uh, toe the line and make me want to try to toe the line to believe to be a conservative or a fundamentalist. I believe in the fundamentals of the faith, but I don't want to be associated with many that are called fundamentalists. You know why? They're crazy. And so I just want to be known as a Bible believer. And if I don't believe the Bible just like you, well, let's just shake hands and go on to the next subject because we'll probably agree on 98, 99% of things, but we might disagree on something else. And this is where conservatives many times go astray is they're so interested in everybody believing 100% just like they do or they're going to split away from them that we've just split ourselves into oblivion. And so the Apostle Paul goes on to say that he's given gifts, not gifts as in gifts to individual, but the individual is the gift. And he himself, that is the Lord, gave apostles Prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, these are not gifts given, that is, there's not the gift of the pastor, the pastoral gift, and the teacher gift, although there is a gift of teaching. But not in this context. He doesn't give the gift of an apostle to someone or uh, the gift of an evangelist to someone or the gift of being a prophet to someone, although there is the gift of prophecy. No, in this context and in this verse, the apostle is the gift. The prophet is the gift. The evangelist himself is the gift. The pastor teacher is the gift. It's not these gifts given to men. The men themselves are the gifts. That's what it says. That's what the text says. Now, why would God give the gift of a person who is an apostle, the gift of a person who is a prophet, the gift of a person who is an evangelist, the pastor-teacher gift? These are people gifts, not gifts given to people, but the people themselves are the gift. Why would he do that? For That gives you the reason or purpose for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. God gives gifts to build up the body. He gives individual gifts to people who are his children. Everyone is a gifted child. God gives gifts. Gifts to believers, to followers of Jesus. But in this case, the individual themselves, the apostle, is the gift. The evangelist is the gift. That is, they themselves, not gifts to men, but the men are the gifts. The gift of The evangelist, the gift of the prophet, the gift of the apostles, the gift of the pastor-teacher. These are men that are placed in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. It's not about them. It's about building up the body. Why? Because God has equipped us so that we can equip others. And the purpose is that we all come together and be this perfect man, this mature, complete man that we would raise up and rise up to the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every slight wind of doctrine by the deceitfulness and the trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into all things into him who is the head, and that is Christ himself. And the whole body fits together with every person supplying uh, the what they bring in their giftedness to the body of Christ. And this is according to the effectual, effective working with which every part does its share causes growth to the body of Christ and the building up of itself in love. And the Bible goes on to say in chapter 4 that we are not to continue to walk as that old man that we were, but now we need to understand that we put off the old clothes, take off the old stinking grave clothes, and we put on the new clothes of righteousness and holiness and godliness with a mind that is set on Jesus. That is the way that God made us to be. This new man which is created according to God in the likeness of God, the Imago Dei, in true righteousness and holiness. Now, hopefully in the next year, I'm going to deal with spiritual gifts. I'll have a whole series on spiritual gifts. You say, when will you do that? As we go throughout the year, because you see, we've already picked out the 365 chapters, and we'll go through those this year. But then we'll start 365 2.0. That is, we will go to another level of learning, and some of the things that we have had to skip over because of the individual chapters, we'll go back and deal with, and one of them is an entire section. It may be two weeks just on spiritual gifts, what they are, what they're not, what is their purpose, how do we recognize those, how do we identify those. All of those things are in the coming year with the 365 plan to point O, oh, taking the next step to maturity. And so we'll do that. And then in chapter four and verse 25, he starts dealing with all the ways that we put off that old man. We stop lying to one another. We speak the truth with our neighbors. And we have to realize that we're members of each other. We're not going to be angry and sin. There's times when we are angry, but anger, even righteous anger, is such a volatile emotion, we can't handle it. Only God can handle it. So he says, don't stay angry. Don't even let the sun one day go by without dealing with anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, because if you do, you're going to give an opportunity for the devil to get a foothold in your life. And a foothold is just a step away from a stronghold. And so he talks about, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. And that doesn't mean cursing. Of course, we don't need to do that. This is speech that tears down another, but building one another up in love. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And then he talks about putting away all this bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, put it away and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Well, that's enough for today. As we walk on the way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast.